staff want to welcome you back that are here today with us. We're excited that you're here. I want to give just a little recap. Um, we've been in the series called um, I Am, uh, the seven statements of Jesus, the seven statements that he made, the I Am statements that he made. Um, the last three, I love this series in part because it hasn't been just me. I've got to hear different voices and different perspectives. And I just love how Pastor Dustin and Pastor Aaron and Pastor Brandon brought the word to us the last three weeks. Wasn't it fantastic? It was good. It was helpful for us. It was helpful for me. And so, uh, but I get to finish out the last two weeks and I'm excited about that. The I Am series uh, goes back to the old Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament that we call it, where um, Moses, um, who was insecure, was being asked to lead the nation out into the promised land uh, to take them out of Egypt and out of slavery to lead. And he was feeling very insecure. He met with God. God met with him on a mountain. And he's like, I'm going to need some backup here. You know, who do I say gave me the authority to do this? What do I tell the people? And God said to him on, the, on that mountain, he said, tell them I am sent you. I am means the self-existent one. The one that has always been, there's never been a beginning, there's never been an end. Uh, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Alpha, the Omega. I am, needs no introduction. I am God. So when Jesus says these seven different I am statements in the New Testament, it was was exhilarating for some why it was... Um, it was fighting words for others, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was fighting words for them because when he said the words, I am, they knew that he was making a bold declaration to be equal with God, that he was God, that he was the son of God, and they didn't accept him. And every person in the world today has the same decision. What do we do with Jesus? And are we going to accept him as Lord or is he a lunatic or is he a liar? Every person on the face of this planet has to decide in their heart and in their mind who Jesus is. And Jesus said these seven statements. I love them. Uh, The I am statements. And I get to go over that a little bit today. And as we do, um, I'm going to introduce you to the bachelor. (laughs) Excited to be here this morning. No, not really. Um, this is something my daughter's, my youngest daughter's 21 years this year. This show started 21 years ago in 2002. And you're thinking, why, where's he going with this? Hang with me. I don't, don't send me emails or notes. I'm not advocating this show. And if you're sitting there saying, does your pastor ever watch this? Yeah. When it first started, Heather and I had three girls. So we watched this show for a while, but it got to a place. It was like for, it's been a while since we've watched this show. And uh, so don't send me notes and emails. And if you're here today and you still watch the show, there's no judgment coming from me. There's no judgment. I mean, if you want to put that filth in your mind, that's up to you. But there's, there's no judgment. There's no judgment here. But the principle and what I want to share with you today is the whole principle of this show was one word. One word. Happy. Are you happy? And that was the question all the time. Right? Well, does this person make you happy? If they make you happy, then you stay in. If it doesn't make you happy, then you get out of it. And it was all about happy. In and out of relationships, all based on whether you're happy or not. And we can judge if we wanted to, but the reality is we all live our lives to some extent the same way. We are building lives where we're trying to be happy. 
Um, we may do it in different ways. They're not always bad ways. Now, there's some ways that goes off the rails, you know, sex and alcohol uh, addictions and other things and looking for love in the wrong places, all those things. But there's also ways that we're just, most people are trying to build a happy life. They're trying to build a career or they're trying to find that Mr. Perfect or Miss Right. And they're trying to find that special someone to spend their life with and raise a family with and then have grandkids. I mean, if we got grandparents in both services and there's no crazier people on the face of this planet than grandparents. You guys go absolutely berserk over it. You didn't go berserk over your kids like that, but your grandkids, you go nuts over them. We're looking for ways. We're maybe looking for that, you know, that off-ramp and retirement. There's all these ways that we're building happiness into our lives. So my question today is, who wants to be happy? Who wants to be happy in here? Okay, I know first service, the same thing. I got mixed results because they're like, can I raise my hand? Is, is this a trick question? Is it, are we not supposed to be happy? Is this an anti-happy? This is not an anti-happy message. This is not a don't be happy. This is a message about how it's actually innate desire that we all have. I'm not disparaging happiness. In fact, I believe there's a lot that's said in the scriptures about happiness, uh, but about a way that we go about searching for that right happiness. And in Ecclesiastes 2.26, this isn't the main verse today, but man, we could come back and just spend a, a, a message on this. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. There is a way to pursue happiness. Jesus, in his first message, the Sermon on the Mount, he begins the message appealing to our happiness. When he says, blessed are, there's nine different things. He says, blessed are you. And it, you transfer that word and say, happy are you, happy are you, happy are you when you do these things. Jesus was appealing to our happiness. He knows that there's an innate desire within us that we want to be happy. God, I would even say, God wants you to be happy. There's a way in which we go about that happiness and sometimes we search for it in all the wrong places, but the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. Pastor Brandon actually spoke a little bit this last Sunday about how we pursue um, happiness. He didn't really necessarily say that, but it was in the pursuit of holiness. And when we pursue God, there is a happiness. There is a blessedness in the way that we go about that happiness when we're pursuing him. And so the disciples, they were on a happiness adventure too. They were seeking happiness. And oh, how happy they were when Jesus came along, invited them onto this incredible journey that they got to watch for three years. All these miracles, the authority of his teaching, the power of his preaching, the crowds. I mean, the crowds were enormous. People followed him. They couldn't get away. I mean, it was rock star status. And they saw in Jesus, they saw this as a fulfillment of what they had studied, what they had learned. This was the Messiah and this was going to be their king. And they were looking forward to Jesus now setting up their kingdom. See, they had plans for Jesus. And, and they, they, they had a king and they wanted to set up their king, kingdom and they were going to do it. Now they'd been with him for three years. They'd seen all that he had done. This was the, this was the week when this takes place that Jesus um, had 
had come into uh, Jerusalem on a colt. He'd come in as king, everyone uh, praising him and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so they're beginning to see this vision unfold in their minds. Hey, things are getting ready to go down. We're going to break Roman rule. We're going to break Roman tyranny. We're going to break Roman injustice. God is getting ready to set up his kingdom. We're getting ready to set up our kingdom. And the Romans are no longer going to be a thorn in our side. We're getting ready to take over because there's a new sheriff in town at that moment imagine their astonishment when they're thinking man Jesus just came in in victory we're getting ready we're about ready to get our marching orders imagine their astonishment in John chapter 13 and we're going to John chapter 14 today but if you want to have your Bibles with me today or on your smartphones and you want to join me in chapter 13 I'm just going to kind of set up where we're going because chapter 13 is important Jesus had come in a few chapters before he'd come in in victory riding on the colt they're thinking man things are really happening fast things are getting ready to happen now we can't wait for this and then in chapter 13 Jesus enters into a room of his 12 over with a Passover meal they're used to sharing with him and the first thing he does is they come in the room he's washing their feet no king washes a servant's feet or washes it. The servants do that. In fact, all the 12, they were too good for that. Where's the servant to do that? Someone forgot to get the servant to wash all of our feet because we're special. We've been walking with Jesus and we're getting ready to take this, this world by storm. And there was Jesus with the towel wrapped around him. And he set the tone for the evening for more things to come. And as we go on in chapter 13, for the disciples, it continues to digress. The evening is not going towards victory it's heading towards defeat and in those moments uh jesus tells them hey one of you is going to betray me all of you are going to deny me and in chapter 13 verse 33 i don't have it up here but it says my children he's talking to the disciples i will be with you only a little longer you will look for me and just as i told the jews so i tell you now where i am going you cannot come hold it (laughs) We're getting ready to set up the kingdom. We're getting ready to set up camp. And you're saying you're leaving us? And you're going to a place where we can't follow? We can't go? Peter's had enough. He's had it up to here. And he's like, I can't take this anymore. And he's like, over my dead body. This is not going to happen, Jesus. In fact, in fact, I won't let this happen. I will die before I let this happen. Because we have plans. And I have plans. And this isn't going the way that we had, we, we had planned things out. And you're telling us something. So I'm not going to, if I have to die for this to happen, this isn't going to happen. And Jesus is like, you know, in a 15 round fight, Peter, you're not going to make it to the first round. You're going to deny me three times. You're, you're going to abandon me. You're going to deny me. You're going to let me down. And so it's with these words, disheartening words discouraging words frustrating words maddening words bewildering words that we enter into chapter 14 when jesus says to them these words well let me go let me back up a little bit they're thinking about a temporal kingdom i'm getting ahead of myself they're thinking about a temporal kingdom. They're thinking about the things that they have in mind. They, they're thinking about the things they have in play. These guys love Jesus. 
They love Jesus. There's a lot of people in this room watching online. You love Jesus, just like the disciples. There's not too many people probably in this room or watching today that are going, I hate Jesus. <laughs> I just hate him. That's probably not anybody here. You may be wondering, you may have questions, but I doubt there's anybody that hates Jesus. Most people don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with the church sometimes, but they don't have a problem with Jesus. And these disciples, they love Jesus. They'd spent three years with him. They were in awe of Jesus. They were enamored by Jesus. But these disciples had their own plans for Jesus. It's like, hey, Jesus. Boy, we got plans. Are we any different? We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? I mean, we love Jesus. But how often do we say, Jesus, we love you. I love you. But boy, do I got some big plans for you, Jesus. Boy, do we got big plans. If you'll just come alongside us, there's some things. I see your power. I see your authority. I see the miracles you can do. And if you, I got a vision for what we can be, who we can become, what we can do. Jesus, if you'll come alongside me, we're going to go places. We are going to go places, Jesus. You come along. You join me in this. How often do we set up our temporal kingdom? And these guys, they had set up their focus on a temporal kingdom. They're focused on, and maybe sometimes we do that too. We're focused on building our career, finding Mr. and Mrs. Wright, getting married, having 2.3 kids, you know, having grandkids, saving for retirement. But what happens when those plans don't go like you expected them to? One of my daughter's um, guy friends, he has his life all planned out. I'll probably get in trouble for this. They don't watch me, so I don't have to worry about it. Um, I know they're not watching. We're good. He, he, he's going to be a multimillionaire by the time he's 27. He's going to retire, I think, by the time he's 40 or something like that. Um, so he's not going to get married until he's in his late 20s so he can do this stuff first. And he's got it all planned out. And I'm like, what do you do when your plans don't work out? You want to make God laugh? You've heard that thing. You want to make God laugh? Tell God your plans. And these disciples are focused on their temporary kingdom, their temporary plans. And in that moment, Jesus knows. Jesus knows where they are. He knows their heart. He knows they're frustrated. He knows they're disappointed. He can see they're unhappy. Can you tell when people are unhappy in your life? the people that are close to you, can you tell when they're unhappy? Guys, don't raise your hand, but can you tell when your wife's unhappy? Or maybe your girlfriend, if you're dating, can you tell when they're unhappy? What about when they say, when you finally get up, you're like, okay, something's unsettled here. Something's not right. Something's not going exactly. So you say these words, is there something wrong? Am I the only one that said these words before? Is there something wrong? And you get an answer like, nothing what's nothing mean means absolutely nothing it means there's something it doesn't mean there's nothing it means there is something and nine times out of ten guys that something is you and me because if it wasn't it would they would gladly tell you what that other thing is you know but when it's you Nine times out of 10, that nothing is you. It's something is us. And Jesus in this moment, he sees these disciples that they're unsettled. They're frustrated. They're unhappy. They've been given unsettling news. 
And so chapter 14, he begins with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. He wants them to focus in, not on their circumstances, not on the things going around them, because he just shared with them some very unsettling news, an unhappy news, it's temporary. And he says, hey, what I'm focused on is your heart. Because your heart is the doorway to your soul and your soul is eternal. And so you're focused on these temporary things. And it may sound like things aren't going exactly the way, but I've got a plan and I've got something bigger. I got an eternal plan. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I love the psalmist who says that, uh, you know, out of the wellspring of our hearts said above all else, guard your hearts because out of the, the issues of life flow from it. If your parents like me or grandparents, we pray prayers for our kids, normal prayers. We pray for their protection. We pray for their blessing. We pray for their good. We pray good things for our kids. But one of the most important things that we can pray for our kids is that God would guard and protect their hearts. Because their hearts are, their door, are the doorway to their soul. And, and uh, everything else is troubling maybe, but our hearts is worthy of protection. And the disciples He's telling them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Things are getting ready to go down. The disciples have been given troubling news, discouraging news. Remember that Jesus also said, in this world, you will have trouble. But keep your focus on me. Jesus is like, eyes back on me. I know there's trouble and I know the things I told you disheartening, but if you'll focus on me, if you'll keep your eyes on me. And then he begins to paint a picture of a future, uh, of a bright future. And he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that. I Would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? God is saying, I've got big, bigger, much bigger plans than you ever had in store for yourself. My plans for you are greater than your plans. My thoughts for you are greater than your thoughts. And I am going to prepare a place for you and, and not just for you. I'm going to prepare a place my, in my house. There's going to be many rooms. There's going to be a lot of room. There's going to be plenty of room. So much so that um, my, my, my heart is that not any should perish, that all should come to repentance. That I love the world so much that, that whoever believes in me will never die but have everlasting life. I am not willing that even the, uh, that I don't want the wicked, uh, that the God's heart breaks over. He doesn't take delight. Ezekiel says he does not delight in the death of the wicked. God doesn't delight in the death of anyone and their separation. There's an invitation to us. And he's saying, Hey, I got many rooms prepared. This is a party. This is just not including you, but I'm going to prepare a big place. All of you are invited. Not everyone will receive it, but there's a big invitation and I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. If Jesus was Arnold Schwarzenegger, he would say, I'll be back. Thankfully, Jesus, Arnold Schwarzenegger, isn't Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't desire to come back to terminate us. He desires to come back to redeem us. To call us his own. To make us his forever. He has good plans for us. And his plans for us is that he's coming back to receive us. And then he says... 
guys, you know to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, and I, I love Thomas. He's maybe one of my favorite disciples. He's not bold like Peter. He's not the loved like John, where John does everything right, seemingly. He's a doubter. And he has his doubts. And I love it that Jesus had as a place at the table for doubters. People that struggle, that wrestle with their faith. He's saying, it's okay. I'm big enough to carry and handle your doubts. You're, and, and, and if you're here and you're a doubter today, you're struggling. God's shoulders are big. He can handle your doubts. You keep struggling with your doubts. You're in a great place to do that. So I love it that there's a place at the table for Thomas. Come on up, Thomas. Eat with us. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? In other words, Jesus, where's home? Where's home? Where's home going to be for us? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the I am statement today. I am. I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me he's answering the question of Thomas where's home where do we go you said you're going to a place that we can't follow you so how do we know how to get there my family being uh, not all pastors this way it's kind of worked out this way for us but we've moved a lot in our ministry as in as associate pastor I was in one place and for two years another place for three years my first senior pastor or lead pastor I was there for two years the next lead pastor four years and the next lead pastor four years and this one eight plus years lucky for you how all right don't clap the first service did that too and they were like I'm trying to get this cheap applause I'm not trying to get this cheap applause um, because what I said next is this why only two years and four years and four years at your previous lead pastor churches? Because I was younger and I got my work done a lot faster there. I'm older and you guys are a lot of work. So we got more work to do. I'm just joking with you. My oldest daughter, three different elementary schools, two different middle schools, two different high schools. The three elementary schools were in three different towns. The two high schools were in two different towns. Last year when she graduated from college, we were like, as you do the normal congratulations saying, man, what are you proud of? What are the things you're excited about? And she goes, I was just excited that the place I started, I got to finish. <laughs> she got to finish the school that she started at. And because we've moved around and this is not an indictment on you. In fact, our girls, they love this church and they love you because they see how good you've been to us and how good you've been to Heather and I, how good you've been to our pastors. They see that. But Reagan was only here three years, Riley five, and they've been in a lot of different places. So the question's been asked. And one time I was asking them, where's home? What do you consider home? Is it Hutchison? Is it Bakersfield? Is it Patterson? Is it Rockland? What, what do you consider home? And one of them said, I don't remember which one, but one of them said, wherever you and mom are, that's home. Wherever you and mom are. And friends, that's what Jesus is telling Thomas. That's what he's telling you. That's what he's telling us. That's what he's telling me. I'm home. You don't have to worry about where. 
wherever I am, I'm home. Wherever Jesus is, is where your home is. Jesus is home. Jesus is the place you've been searching for. Jesus is the place that you've been longing for. Jesus is home. And we're living in a world where people, and you may be in this categories, where people are searching for the way they've lost their way. Maybe you're here today and you've lost your way. You knew your way at one time, but you've lost your way. Maybe you've gone your own way. And Jesus' invitation to you today is, I am home. I am the way. I am the way. I am the way home. Wherever I am is where home is. And if you'll, if you'll stay with me, I'm just telling you, it's the place where you'll be happy. It's the place where you'll be fulfilled. It's the place where there is peace. It's the place where there is joy. I am home. And he said, I am the way. That's the first part of the I am statement. I am the way. These should be capitalized big because Jesus doesn't say I am a way. He doesn't say, I will show you the way. Jesus says, I'm home. Jesus says, I am the way. And that's a big, it's one of two things. It's either a big invitation or it's highly offensive. It just depends on how you see it. It's a great invitation if you're like, I've been searching for the way, I've lost my way, I've gone my own way, but if I come back, there's this invitation that no matter what I've done, no matter what I've sinned, no matter what I've done in my life, no matter where I find myself today, if I will accept Jesus as the way, I'm home. And he's gonna lead me where I need to go. I'm home. Or it can be highly offensive because to say I am the way is not politically correct. It's not kosher with much of the world that says, hey, there's many ways to God. There's many ways. There's not the only way. But according to Jesus, he says, I am the way. It's also not, it's not about being in church. It's not about a religion. He doesn't say I am a religion or, or it's about church is a good thing, but it's to point people to the way. It's not even about, you know, how much you read your Bible. The Bible's to point us to Jesus, but the Bible doesn't save us. You see the, the Pharisees as young Jewish boys by the time they were 13, they would have memorized the first five books of the Bible. They would have known the Pentateuch, the Torah, the first five books. They would have known and been very familiar, might have even memorized the Psalms as Pharisees, as teachers of the law. They, they would have known the Proverbs. They would have known the 39 books of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. They would have known that backwards and forward. And every bit of that, when you look at the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, all of it points to Jesus. Every bit of it, all of it points to who Jesus is and Jesus is coming and Jesus being Messiah and Jesus being Lord. And yet they knew the Bible forwards and backward and they still missed Jesus. We can be in church and still miss Jesus. We can read our Bibles backwards and forwards and still miss Jesus. Jesus says those things, don't, they're, they're not bad, but he's the only way. Jesus says, I am the way. So it's either a great invitation that anyone who wants to come, he'll, he'll, he'll readily accept it, make a child of God, or it can be a great offense that keeps us from coming to Jesus because we're like, nope, you're lunatic or you're a liar 
or we make the decision that he's Lord. And then he said, I am the truth. See, we live in a world that so much truth is it's whatever you think it is. There's no moral absolutes. What's good for you is good for you. That's great, but it's not good for me. So I will choose what's good for me. I am the truth, Jesus said. It was so important to Jesus that in John, in the prayer that he prayed in John chapter 17, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And people think that that is so restrictive And it is a narrow way. Narrow is the road that leads to life and few find it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are going to enter it. But truth actually sets you free. Jesus said, I will set you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And and I'm here to set you free. It's actually liberating when we trust in Jesus as the truth for our life. And finally, he says, I am the life. Happiness what we're all searching for, what we all want. It's not wrong. We all want to be happy. Not disparaging that. We're not saying that's a bad thing. We all want to be happy, but there is a way to true happiness. And there's a way that's going to lead us to a way that it's just, it's not going to lead to real lasting happiness. Happiness is found in Jesus said, I am the life. Jesus is the life of the party. He is the one that's not going to leave you. Talked with a young man that came here this morning in the first service. And I won't share any more of that, but I can just tell you it's a broken world that he's been down. And people have stopped following him because people have left him because he's let them down. But I'm so glad I was able to tell him there's someone. People, they'll, they'll stop following you. They'll stop following you on Instagram, Twitter, whatever else you do. But there's one person on all that that never stopped following you and his name is Jesus. Jesus is always following you because he always wants you to be part of the life. My uh, oldest daughter, Reagan, I told you about a month ago for maybe some of you here that Sunday that she lost one of her best friends and went to a funeral in Chicago and Martin had had kidney failure. And about 15 of his closest friends, there was much bigger than that, but all 15 of that circle of friends came and they, they just all had a similar same story. That for the last couple months, Martin would ask different ones that lived in the Chicago area to go to some of his favorite places. And they did a Martin walk after he, he death to some of his favorite place. One of his favorite places was Lake Michigan along the shore of Chicago. And on those walks, he was focused. He was trusting you see, there's, there's a car that we all drive in. And I totally understand this because I'm kind of a control freak when it comes to some things. I'm the controller in my family. I don't say that like that's a good thing. But hardly ever does Heather drive, Reagan or Riley drive when I'm in the car. I just, I trust me. I trust me when I'm driving. I feel like we're going to get there when I'm driving. And I have to be really tired for me to give up the controls. And we live our life that way too. We live our life like I'm in the driver's seat. We're going to get to where we need to go. As long as I have my hands on the wheel, we will go where we need to be. And we'll get there safely. And all the time we got Jesus over here in the passenger seat. And we're saying, Jesus, come along. 
boy, we're going to go for a good ride. Man, it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you'll go with me where we're going, we're going to get a lot of good things done. And Jesus all the time lovingly is saying, when are you going to give up the driver's seat? When are you going to give up the driver's seat and trust me? One of the hardest things that we do in this life is when we give the driver's seat to Jesus and we get in the passenger seat. See, Martin, I think he did a long time ago because they talked about his faith all the way back to high school and so many of his conversations were intentional. What's God doing in your life? How, how, where do you see him working? But in these last three or four months, when it became evident he wasn't going to kidney transplant, we were all hoping for it and praying for it, but it wasn't happening. He began to go on these walks and he took his friends with him and he said, can you, so beautiful, all of God's creation, but can you imagine, can you imagine what heaven's going to look like? Can you imagine what it's going to be to be on the shore when it's going to be walking on the sand and the, and the water with alongside Jesus? Can you imagine? And his friends were enjoying these conversations, but he had a real intention. He knew. He knew. But there was a common theme to all their stories. Martin had joy. Martin had peace. Martin was living life to the full every day. He wasn't in gloom or in doom. And they didn't realize how sick he was. He didn't tell any of them how sick he was. It was only his brother the night before he died that said, I'm ready to go. And if God wants to take me, it's okay. Because I know whose I am and where I'm going. Friends, it's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on on our happiness. is isn't based on the things of us being in the driver's seat is when we give up the driver's seat to God, we give it to Jesus and we get in the passenger seat like Martin. We say, I don't know, but it's okay because I know who has me and I know we're going to get there safely. I know that we're going to be okay. I know that you're the way. I know that you're the truth and I know that you're the life. And because you are, I have peace. I have joy. I have love. I have a hope. I have a future. No one comes to the father except through me. Today, if you're honest, maybe a lot of us are in the driver's seat. Maybe you're even a follower of Jesus, but you're in the driver's seat. And you're like, Lord, man, I love you. I got some really good plans for us. And Jesus is inviting you today to say, my plans are better than your plans. My hopes for you are greater than your hopes. My future is greater than your future. And if you'll just give up the driver's seat and get in the passenger seat, you're going to live life. You're going to experience the way. You're going to find what you've been looking for, that happiness that you always hoped and desired and wanted because I am the way. I'm home. I am the truth. I'm home. I am the life. I'm home. Do you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends today. Thank you that we're on this journey together. Lord, if I'm honest, even still today, even as pastor, as a dad, as a husband, so often I just want to be in this driver's seat. And often I take back the wheel. But I'm most satisfied, I'm most fulfilled, I'm most happy when you're in the driver's seat and I'm along for your ride. Father, I pray for my friends today that maybe are in the driver's seat today. 
Maybe it's in a relationship they're holding on to that they need to let go of. Maybe it's in a work environment that they need to trust you for something different. Maybe it's a physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's spiritual. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I don't have to know what it is, but it's just as a statement of faith to God of saying, God, I'm in the driver's seat, but today by faith, I'm, I'm going to the passenger seat and I need you to take control of this because I can't do it. Heads bowed and your eyes closed today. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray with you as your friend. That's you. We just raise your hand today. Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, there's many of them. The good news is we're all in this life together and a lot of us have this. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for these that have, by faith, as a symbol of their faith, they've raised their hand, Lord, to just say, God, would you take control? Would you take the driver's seat? Would you take the wheel? And I will gladly get in the passenger seat today because I can't do it. I need you. And Father, that decision's even harder tomorrow when we're not in church. So I pray that tomorrow, when they want to get back in the driver's seat, you'll give them strength to say, Lord Jesus, it feels so unnatural and I want to be in the driver's seat, but I give you control. Lord, give them the strength to do that. Whatever.